we saw you do something that I don't recall you ever doing before. After you hit the 36-footer, we saw some dance moves right over here in the corner. They played a, they played an East Oakland anthem. So it was only right that I acknowledged the East Oakland anthem and go dumb for a second, and that was it. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Wednesday morning. We've got all your chaotic action from Tuesday's playoff bubble at the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando. I'm Zach Harper. That's Mo Dakil. Andrew Schlecht is erasing the chalk from the NBA bracket. Coming up on today's show, James Harden claps the thunder. Jimmy Butler wins another one against TJ Warren. And Gordon Hayward's going to be out for a while. But first, Mo, the one seeds are a sweating. Both of them go down. We'll start with Lakers Blazers. Blazers 100, Lakers 93. Damian Lillard hits a 36-footer. He dances to blow the whistle. He, it's a tie game, and he's dancing to a big shot because they played blow the whistle. He even said after the game that, you know, they went East Oakland on him, so he had to go East Oakland. He had to go dumb <laughs> for a bit. A 19-6 run to close this one out. The, I think the Lakers scored seven points or six points in the last seven minutes, Mo. What the hell happened? I mean, it, it's just terrible. In general, they scored 37 points in just the second half. It's after scoring 31 in the second quarter. Like, everything kind of just fell apart for them offensively. Only made five threes all night. It's stunning, you know. And watching Dame dance after hitting that three, Zach, made me just realize, you know, he's a, a sociopath. Like, of course. He's, he's scary. <laughs> you know, when he hit that, I was like, oh, Laker fans should be very concerned right now. Well, I mean, they should be concerned because this team cannot make jump shots. They can't make layups. KCP is throwing the ball off the backboard on layups, just off the backboard. No rim, no nothing, just throwing it off the backboard. (laughs) Dame had 34 points. He had five assists. He had five rebounds, went 10 of 10 from the free throw line, six of 13 from deep, and one of those was real deep. CJ McCollum had a big second half. He had 21 points overall. Yusuf Nurkic was really good, but he was in foul trouble. He finished with 16 points, 15 rebounds. But, Mo, I mean, it just seems like, you know, I keep waiting for the Blazers to get too tired to come through in these in these clutch moments, and they've run off a few now, whether it's, you know, the Nets, whether it's the Grizzlies, whether it's now the Lakers. Like, they keep running off these wins in ways they need to, and it's been ever since, you know, the trash talk with Paul George and Patrick Beverly. But the Blazers have just been resilient. Yeah, you got to give them a ton of credit. You know, the way every game they've played in the bubble has felt like a game seven to them because it basically was up until now where it's finally a game one and they played like it. And it was interesting watching these two teams, especially in the first half, Zach, because it really felt like the Lakers just met in the lobby for the first time. You know, and and they they were kind of getting carved up by the Blazers early on. And they were carrying that momentum, that wave they've been riding, you know, and and that can take you really far. I'm with you, though. I'm curious if the gas tank's ever going to run out. Maybe they're an electric car. Maybe it's a Tesla and they just have a constant energy. I don't know what it is, but it's been an impressive run for them across the board. And I don't even think they played that well this game. No, they did. They shot 39% from the field. They turned over 16 times. Funny thing is, like, Dane was plus 19 in a game they won by seven. He played 43 minutes. That means in the five minutes, he was minus 12. They were minus 12 without him in those five minutes he was on the floor. Like, Mo, that, I don't know if they can play him 43 minutes a game, can they? I guess there's no travel. There's no, you know, there's no, I guess, you know, of the extracurriculars outside of anything. But that, that seems taxing. I mean, I don't think they have much of a choice. I mean, we saw it even in the bubble games. You know, I just don't know if if you can. I mean, he played that long. And CJ playing 41 minutes. You know, it's it's hard across the board. I think those guys 
really won't be able to sit much. And it's going to be interesting for Stotts to have to use his timeouts in a way to kind of buy rest for his guy. We might see a challenge that he just feels like, I just need to give my guys an extra few minutes. You know? Right, because like, it'll be longer think- than a regular timeout, right? Like, be, yeah, like- exactly. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's good strategy. I, I know I'm going to lose this challenge, but challenge. Right, <laughs> you but know, I'm going to burn a timeout anyway. Might as well get just, some, extra, some extra rest out there. All gotta, right. Got to get those guys minutes. We got to freak out about it, Mo. The Lakers. <laughs> what the hell? The Lakers shoot 35% from the field, which is not an outlier in the bubble. They've been this bad on offense pretty much the whole time. LeBron goes 23 points, 17 rebounds, 16 assists, uh, which is great, right? But he was 9 of 20 from the field, 4 of 7 from the free throw line. Uh, Anthony Davis was 8 of 24 from the field. He did get to the free throw line 17 times. He made 12 of them to finish with 28 and 11, but they were bad with AD on the court. Like, the, the Blazers went big, and and the Lakers, like, they're supposed to be the big ones. They didn't know what to do, and I, I really feel like the, the counter has to be the Lakers have to almost abandon big ball against – against these against these blazers right you know they they got rid of big baller brand last year so they they did that now you got to get rid of big ball altogether because i think ad at the 5 is the way you make this blazers team uncomfortable yeah i think that makes a big difference cuz even if the blazers try to stay big you know that means at some point you're going to have Whiteside and Nurkic on the court together and you could take advantage of it cuz one of those guys has got to guard lebron right in in theory i think the other issue though too is LeBron had 16 assists. The only other Laker to have more than one assist with Al- was Alex Caruso. Like, you know, AD is going to see double teams and he's not able to find the the right passes to kickouts to guys. And those guys, when he does, aren't even knocking down shots. Like, it's, it is a very much a soul-searching night in Orlando for the Lakers because this is just one of those things you got to look at it going like, this is a game they should have won. Yes. It's a low-scoring game. They're supposedly the better defending team. They should have really came away with this win. And, you know, when you look at it too, AD missed two free throws in a row down the stretch when they were down two. LeBron missed two free throws. And this is all with like the four-minute mark. Like yeah. all of these things are things they get they cannot afford to miss. They got to get those points because of the fact that they're just not shooting the ball well right now. Mo, what is the what does the number 15.6 mean to you? I don't know, but I feel three like three point to tell percentage me. of the Lakers 15.6? <laughs> Mo, I mean, that's that what they've been in the bubble. That's what they've been in the bubble, though. They've been the worst three-pointing shooting team in the bubble across the board. This has just been a normal thing for them. This is something that they're not hitting their shots, and it's not like they're getting bad looks. Right. Danny Green had three wide-open threes in the first quarter that he just missed, and the third one he missed by a mile and a half. So it's it, it, they're getting the looks. It's just right now they're in a weird weird funk that they just cannot make anything. Yeah, they did get good minutes uh, off the bench from Markeith Morris, Kyle Kuzma for the most part, you know, Alex Caruso. They all had, you know, pretty positive impacts on the game, especially Caruso and Morris. But, you know, Danny Green, 4 of 12 from the field, 2 of 8 from deep. KCP, 0 of 9 from the field, 0 of 5 from deep. Like, he was just getting he was just getting shredded, too. Like, there's nothing he could do. I can't believe I'm going to ask you this question, Mo, but I think I'm serious. Would getting Rajon Rondo back help them with shot making? And I don't even mean like him setting people up. I mean just him making shots. It couldn't hurt at this point. Right? He's shooting 15% from three in a game. It can't hurt. You know, but I think this this is the stuff we've noticed since Rondo's been out is how the offense has sputtered. And he's taken a lot of hits 
you know, people just saying like, hey, he, he shouldn't play, should be Caruso. I think we're seeing the value of him, you know, even though you said it's not more than just creating shots, but like he makes that pass that leads to the pass to the shot. You know, he just kind of makes makes it happen on the court sometimes. And you know what? He's gutsy enough to take the shots with the confidence that he's going to make it. So, you know, it couldn't hurt. I mean, let's put it this way. It couldn't be any worse than what they're doing. Right. No, it, de- it definitely could not. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, Mo. How worried should the Lakers be? They should be about an eight. You know, uh, I think this is something that they got to really be concerned about. I still think they win the series, but they got some questions to have to answer right now. Don't think you're off the hook, Bucks. They also lose. Another one seed goes down today. They started off the day by going down uh, to the eight seed Magic. Magic 122, Bucks 110. Uh, look, the Magic did this last year, and they beat the Raptors in game one, Mo, and the Raptors went on to win the championship. Was this strategy by the Bucks to lose this game to Orlando? It's a tradition now at this point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to find out. Uh, it was really shocking to see that. I mean, here on the West Coast, that game was at 1030 in the morning. I thought I was still asleep at this point. Watching the way the, the Magic sort of just came out from the beginning and and were there to play and the Bucks themselves, you know, they haven't looked that great in the bubble either kind of coming into it. I think we all thought, all right, eventually they'll get their groove here once the games start, but they look terrible defensively, Zach. Yeah, they really did. I mean, Nikola Vucevic just, just carved them up 35 points, 14 rebounds, four assists, and it was an efficient 35 points, but he didn't even get to the free throw line, Mo. Like he didn't, he didn't get to the free throw <laughs> so line. He dropped amazing. 35. Yeah. Like he was 15 and 24 from the field went five of eight from deep. And, it's not like this magic team is full strength. Like obviously no Jonathan Isaac. They didn't have Aaron Gordon. They started Gary Clark and James Ennis. Like they started those guys. Yeah. I, I wonder if the, the Bucks kind of saw that and was like, oh, this could be an easy night for us. And, you know, when you take teams for granted, they, they come back to bite you in the butt. And this is a, a credit to the magic. This is a credit to the coaching job Steve Clifford did for them. Yeah. I think, you know, they – they came in there with the plan of like, we're not letting up. We're not coming in here afraid to play these guys. And they took it right to them. And, you know, when I talk about the Bucks, just defensively, they looked out of sorts. You know, that Robin Lopez, or excuse me, Brooke Lopez, who normally kind of quarterbacks the defense and things like that, had multiple occasions where he, he just slipped up, wasn't paying attention or wasn't on top of things. And some of that had to do with Vooch getting going and, and, and knocking down shots. But it just sort of, showed kind of the flaws that are there within the Bucks defense. And then those guys, Middleton and Brooke Lopez, both not hitting shots on the other end. Yeah, absolutely. And and for Orlando making shots, you know, they shoot 40% from deep. This is this is the plan against the Bucks, right? Like this is what the Raptors did last year. It's what people have talked about every time you face a Mike Budenholzer team is they will give up open looks from three. And they try to give it to the right people, right? They try to give it to the people who can't make them, but you can adjust that pretty easily if you're the opponent and the Bucks don't generally make these adjustments uh, to, to counter anything. And so the magic just kept firing. I mean, you know, we heard that the Nets had said they, they hung out at the pool with the, with the Rockets. The Rockets said, hey, just go shoot threes. Go shoot a bunch of threes. Shoot a ton of threes and you'll beat them. It also helped that Giannis played like 16 minutes that game and so did Chris Middleton. So that's really why the Nets beat the Bucks in that game? It wasn't necessarily the Rockets' strategy, but that strategy is real. Now I don't know if I don't know if the Magic can keep this up. They're not a good offensive team, but Mo, like the strategy is that no one's afraid of the Bucks. That's the weird thing is they've been so dominant all season long, 
and teams in the East don't seem to be worried about playing them. It's not that they think they're bad, but they just believe we have a chance to, to shoot our way into these games and into victories. Yeah, I think there's just an element of we know they're not going to make the adjustments that they need to make. We just have to make our shots is basically what it comes down to. You know the exact shots you're going to be able to get. So practice them. Practice them over and over and over again. Make sure you're ready to take those shots when they come to you. Make sure you're able to, to jump in and get whatever comes your way. You just know that they're not going to change their defense that much. That's not something that Coach Budenholzer does all all too well. We've seen it in Atlanta when he was there. We, we're seeing it now in Milwaukee. Right. And no reason to fear him. You know, honestly, like, look, they collapsed last year. They were up 2-0 in the conference finals, and I don't know if they get enough crap for that. You know, we would be killing it if it was Golden State. That would I mean we killed them for Golden State blowing a 3-1 lead. Right. You know, it, they're up 2-0, had all the confidence in the world, and then they lose four straight. Like, that lets teams know that, hey, you're capable of falling apart. Yeah, and Evan Fournier didn't even hit a shot to like halfway through the fourth quarter, right? Like it, it took him forever to hit a shot. So it's not like he went off by by any means. Uh, Terrence Ross was good in this one. And Terrence Ross, they had kind of been missing him a little bit in Orlando. Uh, DJ Augustine had 11 and 11 off the bench. And and look, this is just Steve Clifford can coach, man. Like he's a Clint. really, really good coach. He, he's a great coach. I think he's he, he's underrated because I feel like he gets the most out of the talent that he has, and he generally doesn't always have the best talent. Uh, let me ask you this, though, Zach. When's the next time Orlando Magic are going to score 122 points in a game? Well, I mean, that's a great question. <laughs> I, I, I would assume not again this season, but I also didn't think they were going to do it in game one. Um, what do we do about Giannis in this game? Because the numbers are eye-popping. 31 points, 17 rebounds, 7 assists. I think you can look at that and say, hey, he did his job, but I didn't think he played a good defensive game. I mean, no one really on that team played a good defensive game. You mentioned Brooke Lopez was kind of all over the place and a little absent-minded. Even Brooke did a curious job of trying to stomp a chair, right? Like he tried to stomp yeah. through the seat of the chair and then he just kicked it. And even that, I was like, your decision-making is not up to snuff tonight, buddy. Like that's just not how – that's not how you break a chair. Now, granted, I'm not the size of Brooke Lopez, but Mo, that didn't make any sense. I mean, I feel like you've broken more chairs than Brooke Lopez. Uh, Definitely <laughs> thrown more chairs than Brooke Lopez, that's for sure. But I also just think, you know, but first off, it's scary that he's doing it because, you know, that's very quickly how you break a toe or something, right, not yeah. by doing something stupid like that. But, you know, back to your question about Giannis, it is kind of funny for him to have the the numbers that he put up and to feel like, wow, he didn't really dominate the game the way yeah. those numbers would show it. Like, if I just read you a stat line, you'd be like, oh, he was just awesome, huh? And you just didn't even feel it throughout the game. You know, he had moments, but again, I think the whole team defensively was just in another world. Like, I, I, I'm i stunned by how poorly they came out defensively. Yeah. Uh, Mo, uh, how much How much for Chris Middleton? Like, it's kind of been the question all year. He killed all year. He was great. But people have always said, well, let's see him do it in the playoffs, right? And then game one, he he plays terrible. Like, are, are you worried about Chris Middleton? Not, maybe not even this matchup, but I'm just talking about moving forward. I don't know if I'd say I'm worried, but it is something I'm watching. It's something we've all been talk we've all talked about. And honestly, we've everybody gets tired of the story of like, well, will the other guys step up? But the reason why we bring that up is because it matters, you yeah. know. Middleton going four for 12, Brooke Lopez going two for nine. You know, th those are guys that have to hit shots for them. You know, Eric Bledsoe, five for 11. Like these are these are things that are that are worrisome. These are the guys that are meant to alleviate the pressure off of Giannis. We always talk about like, 
you, we need to see the second star and the Bucks are paying Middleton to be the second star. So it's a problem on their hands. If come the playoffs, he's not a second star anymore because they've invested that money. Okay. Uh, Mo, scale of one to 10. How worried are you about the Bucks? Two, maybe one. I mean, if, if Brooke Lopez is going to keep kicking chairs, I might be a little more concerned. <laughs> but like, ultimately, I just don't think it's a different level of concern than I would have, you know, than I had for the Lakers. You know, this is a magic team that, gosh, like, I don't think they can do that again. All right, let's get to the news from Tuesday that you need to know on Wednesday. We're getting the Delete 8 training camps for some reason, Mo. I don't know why we're doing this, but we're doing it. The Players Association and the NBA have reached an agreement for the eight franchises who are not a part of the Orlando Restart to conduct voluntary group workouts while residing in campus settings. That's according to Shams Tarania of The Athletic. They essentially are forming these in-market bubbles for the eight non-restart teams from September 14th to October 6th. Uh, phase one will be the 14th to the 20th of September. Testing begins individual workouts. Then from September 21st to October 6th, group training in campus setting, private living accommodations for all those eight restart or non-restart teams are available to bring in up to five G League affiliate players into the program. Limit on five on five scrimmages for phase two has been discussed at one hour per day. Mo, what the hell? Why are, why, why are these eight teams feeling left out and that they need to do this. I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. I, it, it really does. And I just think we're taking an unnecessary risk. And I think it's really seven teams. Cause I don't, I I'm very curious to see who the, who's going to do it for the warriors. You know, I don't know right. how much <laughs> they're going to really bring in Steph, Clay, and Draymond and put them in this situation. I understand the concern from these teams, especially the younger teams worried about, we don't know when next season is going to start. We, we, you know, we might go a full year without playing and, and things like that. I understand that, but you know, everything that's going on, we still got to remember one thing. There's still a damn pandemic. Yes. We're still in a situation yes. that's not, not at all ideal. It doesn't look like it's slowing down folks. So I don't know, you know, the NBA had to go to extreme lengths to create a bubble that so far is holding, but we're all nervous every day. So I don't, I, I, I don't know necessarily if we're uh, really making a smart decision here. Uh, it doesn't feel like we are. Uh, we do have some injury news. Gordon Hayward hurt his ankle in game one when he landed on Daniel Tice's foot. We got word from the Celtics today. It is a grade three ankle sprain. That is four weeks without Gordon Hayward, at least. Brad Stevens did say, I think we can certainly do a lot here, but all that is stuff to be determined. We haven't gotten into that stuff or that conversation, but that's essentially Mo. That's Gordon Hayward out until like maybe the conference finals. Like that is a long time to be without him. And it's not like the Celtics are the deepest team already. Like they, they have a lot of just inexperienced young guys on that bench uh, how serious is this for not just this series, but moving forward? I mean, it's a real concern. I mean, just for the pure fact of what it does to their depth, the way you said it, you know, it's a thin, thin uh, line, you know, after the, after him, you know, you know, they're going to probably move in Marcus Smart into the starting lineup. And that means off the bench, you have guys like, you know, uh, uh, Romeo Lankford. And, Carson Edwards, uh, maybe. Get, cr- cr- yeah. Like, just uh, let me put it to you this way. We're struggling to come up with those names. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, and I don't, you know, and I've watched a ton of Celtics games, but it's never like they've been that deep. You know, it's not going to change their big man rotation, but <clears throat> it's going to be a concern. And then you add in the fact that even when he comes back, how long are you going to have him if he's going to leave the bubble to attend to his wife's birth? Like, right. you know, and, and this is an ankle injury. It's not like he can keep his conditioning up 
throughout all this. And four weeks is tough. Like this is a big blow for the Celtics. May not hurt them too much in this series against Philly, but it will against Toronto when they, if they move on. Another injury, we had Victor Oladipo on Tuesday. He got a scratched eye. The Pacers said initial test showed no immediate concern, so he's going to be day-to-day. Happened when, uh, I believe, Jake Crowder inadvertently poked him in the eye uh, during that during that game against the Miami Heat, which we will get into right now. Heat 113, Pacers 101. The Jimmy Butler, TJ Warren battle continues, Mo, and it was a fun one because TJ Warren actually scored and Jimmy Butler actually made three pointers for the first time since like early March. He hadn't made a three pointer. <laughs> he makes two gigantic ones in the fourth quarter down the stretch. Just absolutely huge shots. It's the time you would want him to step up. It helped kind of buoy them when Gord, or when Goran Dragic scored 14 of his 24 in the fourth quarter. They were able, like this was a close game. The, you know, the 12 yeah. point spread at the end doesn't show just how close this was. This was not down to the wire, but pretty much right there. And and the Pacers just couldn't execute down the stretch. But you know, Mo, the Heat, they just. They just seem to find the right moments to step up, and, and Jimmy Butler did it, and Goran Dragic did it. Yeah, I mean, it really started with the beginning of the fourth quarter with Goran Dragic just going completely nuts, right? Like there was the, the Heat had, I mean, excuse me, the Pacers had no answers for him, and he just kind of kept getting in, into the lane, kept finding guys, kept making plays. Ten points or twelve points, excuse me, in the fourth quarter, right there, and then just towards the end when it was still relatively in the balance, Jimmy Butler said, "Okay." I'll get going now and scored 10 points in the last four minutes of that game to sort of put it on ice for them. This was a, a pretty interesting game, especially because of all the talk coming in about Duncan Robinson. And I thought the Pacers did a good job limiting him to just six points, but they forgot about the other guys. They did forget about the other guys. Now, to their credit, you know, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, uh, you take away their three-point attempts. The Heat actually went 10 of 22 from from deep. I think they were like three of 35 overall. So, you know, those are those are two good shooters that the Pacers were able to keep down. I guess if you can hold those guys, you feel better about. I mean, the Heat are a good three-point shooting team, but you would feel better about this. Uh, you know, about this trend going forward that like Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, Andre Iguodala, these guys aren't going to make three-pointers. Yeah, I think you know, especially like. Iguodala is so hit and miss with threes anyways. And, you know, Jimmy Butler, like you said, hasn't taken a three since March 2nd. Right. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're just like, okay, well, he's, he's, he made those. What are you going to do? You know, I think they – I thought the Pacers had a good game plan. You know, like you said, it was much closer than the score showed. And, you know, they were right there in the end, and that's including the fact that Oladipo was – you know, only got eight minutes in this game. You know, so I thought it pretty encouraging for the, the Pacers, especially getting T.J. Warren going after he struggled against the Heat in the bubble. So I think that was a, a positive thing, but it's going to be tough, man. Yeah, especially like I guess Oladipo is going to be OK, Mo, but I, you know, he still hasn't been great since the return from the injury before the shutdown. I don't know that it's reasonable to expect him to play like anything close to an all star. So if Oladipo can't be up to snuff and even if T.J. Warren's scoring, um, it doesn't feel like they have enough. Like Malcolm Brogdon has to have a much better game. He got to the free throw line a bunch in this one. They had good efforts from Justin Holiday and from TJ McConnell off the bench. But for the most part, like I was just looking like, where's the Pacers help right now? Well, that's the thing. If you're looking at McConnell and Holiday to help you off the bench, and I like those guys, you're in trouble. Yeah. In the playoffs, you're in trouble. Like those just aren't the guys you really want, you know, 
being your first ones off the bench to really uplift us. And like you said, Brogdon has to play better. I mean, I thought he got going a little bit better in the second half. And, you know, they've never really found that sort of synergy with Brogdon and Oladipo on the court at the same time yet. So that's something to keep an eye on if Oladipo comes back or if he, for whatever reason, has to sit out the next game. You know, I think you might see Brogdon feel a little more comfortable and feel like he's got more space. But, you know, they just their top guys have to play better, plain and simple. I know it's like a duh moment when you say that, but they don't have anybody else that can just kind of help win them a game. Like, I don't look at it going like TJ McConnell's not coming off the bench and scoring 25. Right. Right. Exactly. So the Pacers, they shot the three well, but they didn't shoot a lot of them. Is it is that something where they can just easily you know, increase the volume, hope to keep some of the same efficiency and that can kind of turn the tide or does Miami not allow it to allow teams to do that when just taking three pointers? I think it's more of a mindset because the Pacers have never been a high three point shooting team. And I don't know if that's something that's just going to change overnight. Like Nate McMillan's not waking up tomorrow going like, man, we need to shoot 45 threes a game. Right. You know, like that's just something that's not happening. And even if he did, the players are so conditioned the way they are it's hard to just change that all, all of a sudden. So, you know, I think that's something that's a real issue. It's nice that they're shooting 41% and you want them to shoot probably closer to like 33, maybe 34 threes. And, and hopefully that percentage can stick. But, you know, you also got to understand that the Heat's defense is stifling. Like it can really press on you the way those guys, you know, defend. You, Jimmy Butler is still a hell of a defender. Yeah. You know, Dragic is a bit underrated. You have Bam who's, who's good on switches. Like I just think it's a – it, it, it's a tough matchup for Indiana because I just don't think they have the firepower and I don't think they've been trained to take those shots that they want that we, we all want them to take more of. Yeah, now Jimmy Butler had 28 points, three rebounds, four assists, four steals, two blocks. Goran Dragic had 24 points, six rebounds, five assists. But Mo, I thought Bam Adebayo was the best player for the Heat in this one. He had 17 points, 10 rebounds, six assists, three blocks, zero turnovers, only committed two fouls. You know, you can't go off plus, you know, single game plus minus too much, but he was plus 23 in this one. Like I thought Bam controlled the half court on both ends of the floor so perfectly. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at it in terms of he won the matchup against Turner, and I think that's a big part of this, this battle in this series, you know, not that I think Turner's phenomenal, but he's been in the league long enough that you want to start seeing some of these flashes and Bam's just outplayed him. And you said it, man. He was the best player on the Heat. He was the best player on the court. Rockets 123, Thunder 108. Ooh, this was an ugly one for a while, Mo. It was a real <laughs> pitcher's duel. And Chris Paul couldn't go, get, couldn't get going. The Thunder couldn't get going. Eventually, uh, the Rockets were able to, to make some headway. And, and they had a big four, or a big second quarter, big third quarter. They were able to maintain and, and kind of cruise to a victory in this one. But, you know, Chris Paul just got going way too late in this one. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't think that the the Thunder were really creating good shots. They didn't have that one guy who could just go out there and score early to set the tone. And, you know, James Harden didn't play that well at first either. He finishes with 37 points, but it took him a while to get going. This was just kind of ugly. It was nasty. And when you call it a pitcher's duel, like <laughs> I, I thought this was like a, a curling match. Like I didn't know what was going on for the first, you know, seven to eight minutes of this game. And I think some of it was first playoff game jitters. But the other thing, too, was the Thunder could not figure out the Rockets switching in terms of they just couldn't get any penetration. They just didn't really handle it all that well. And I was impressed by the Rockets defense. More importantly, Zach, 
I'm just impressed they only got out rebounded by 10. Yeah. You know, in, in other games in the bubble, they've been getting out rebounded by like 18, 20. They got out rebounded by 30 against the Bucks. I mean, they still won the game because they forced the turnovers. But I just, it was an impressive effort from the Rockets on the defensive end. And I thought offensively, they were great, man. I just thought, you know, once they did get going, Eric Gordon looked really good for them. I thought he did a great job getting into the paint, you know, and that's something that I thought losing Russ was going to be an issue. But if he's going to be able to get penetration like that, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. And so for the Thunder side of it, like, I feel like, look, one, Chris Paul can't start that slowly. He ended up having a, you know, nice numbers on the night, but he just can't start that slowly. But, you know, Shea Gillis Alexander and, and Dennis Schroeder, like those guys just have to attack. Yeah, you can't sit back and relax here on the on the Rockets. Like you have to attack the switches by being aggressive and you have to look for opportunities to slip screens and things like that and just cutting an off-ball movement. Like there was just was no movement. I I would be very curious to go back, look at the film and see how many cuts the Thunder made in general when they were in the half court cuz it couldn't have been that many. And those guys like they got to wake up here. Like Dennis Schroeder can't go 3 of 12. You know, Shea can't be two of eight. Like, those are just issues. Like, that's yeah. something – they're such a big part of this team. I mean, we talk about Schroeder as a six-man candidate. You got to come in and you got to deliver. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those guys combined for 15 points. I think a slow night for both these guys. If they both had 15 points, you'd be like, ooh, I don't know. that They need more than that, right? And so <laughs> the fact that they only got half of that between them uh, is a problem. Uh, one last note, the Rockets – We need – I mean, sorry, we need 15 apiece from them for this to be – uh, even then, I don't game. think I don't think that's enough. Like, I really yeah, right. <laughs> but but it's it's, it's, a, it's a start, right? Um, but you know, on the Rocket side, one more note before before we move on: Jeff Green and Ben McElmore, like their minutes on the floor were phenomenal. Like, Jeff Green was ridiculous in this game. He was such a perfect role player for what they needed. He was able to play inside really well. Like, I that's that's proving to be a very good pickup. Yeah, I mean, it's paid off. You know, finally the potential is coming through with Jeff Green at, you know, age 47. 13 years Um, later. (laughs) You know, but I actually really want to talk about Ben McLemore because he's been hitting shots all bubble long. Like, he's just been drilling it. And it's been a nice sort of redemption story for the Rockets all season. And it's pretty cool to see it kind of continue on in this, you know, four for seven tonight. And, like, these are big moments for him. And and I think this is – a big boost for the Rockets in general. All right, let's go to the big games coming up on Wednesday. We'll do some quick hitters here. Toronto Raptors look to take a 2-0 series lead over the Brooklyn Nets. Can the Nets contain the Lowry Van Vliet backcourt? No. All right. Next question. Utah Jazz look to even up the series 1-1 against the Denver Nuggets. Is it possible for Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray to have another great duel? Yeah, no, I think yeah, well, Donovan Mitchell's going to have to play great throughout this series if the Jazz are going to have a chance. Joel Embiid and the Philadelphia 76ers get a chance to even up their series with the Boston Celtics, who again are without Gordon Hayward. Will we see Joel Embiid demand things more down the stretch and be the superstar he has to be? I mean, if Joel Embiid doesn't get 15 to 20 post-touches, this is a real problem for Philly, and they might be looking at getting swept. Clippers are then going to finish out the night going, trying to go up 2-0 against the Mavericks. Mo, the most important question of this one, will the refs give us a better game too? Well, I think, I don't know if you saw the breaking news there, Zach. 
Both Porzingis and Doncic have already been ejected from game two. <laughs> That's so, all right. <laughs> I think we're going to have a good one. I I, I hope we uh, the, the rest don't get in the way. The Michael K. Gilchrist era begins in Dallas. That's going to do it for today's show. Don't forget about the other basketball shows across the Athletic Podcast Network. Of course, you've got the Athletic NBA show with basketball buds tampering. We've got Hoops Adjacent coming out today on Wednesday. And we'll have Point of Contention and Nerd She Wrote finishing out the week. We've got No Dunk. Always check out No Dunks and everything they're doing. It's just really such a good show, such a good group. Uh, of course, the team-specific shows. Make sure you click follow on the app to get notifications for new episodes and use that podcast comment section to let us know how we're doing and sign up for The Athletic, why don't you? What a great idea that would be. Thanks for waking up with us. Wear a mask. Stay sh- socially distant. Get on a stationary bike. Work out during the games. And Mo, hit us with that sign-off. Ding, ding. <laughs>